0: Well, good morning. um, I'm going to share my story today, and I promise I'll get you out of here in 47 minutes or less, um, shorter. So I, again, my name is Zach Holland. In the last two months of my life, I've had two major identity changes, and one of those is I graduated with my Master's of Divinity from Bethel Seminary, and um, I went from being a student for 20 years to a jobless uh, hopeful, And it's a scary time for me. And and then the other part of me that changed is I got married. And my wife Brittany is here today. And, and I went from a single man of 25 years to a not-so-single man in, in just a few seconds. So it was some really big things in my life. And this is a picture of us right here at our wedding. And that's actually the moment that the kiss sealed the deal. And I got one other picture there. And she's already... <laughs> trying to keep up with me and um, I was pretty excited in that picture. My best man right next to me and um, we're chugging along. So life has been absolutely crazy and I am pretty sure that there are people in this room who can relate to such extraordinary life changes. There are certain circumstances in life that uh, we are faced with a shift in our identity and these are Moments where we risk losing a piece of ourselves that we have known so long. That something beautiful yet unknowable can be born. And I believe that this is what links myself to you together as humans and in many ways links me to you as a new husband and a new church plant. And I spent the last year, how I know Rob is, I I met him through Faith Covenant Church. I served as a pastoral intern there for a year in grad school. And I was mentored by Mike Lotzer and challenged in many different ways to search out this new identity of what it meant after grad school. And as these new adventures come forward and doors are opened, we walk through and hope that God will be there on our side to meet us in our new identity. So, restoration today, if you hear anything of hope from me, is that I see you, and I hear you, and I understand how difficult and frightening and anxiety-building a church plant can be. Because I have friends who are doing it right now, and I hear their worries. But the hope from our God is that you're not doing it alone. From one identity seeker to another, you need to know that I am proud of you. And in the words of my wife, I am your champion, and in the words of our God, I am on your side. And so, as we explore the text today in the topic of money, I hope that we can come together in our new identities and see what it means to be money holders in a world that would have us hold on to our money and not give it away. And our text today is Matthew chapter 6. And it goes like this. Oh, is that the whole thing there? Yeah, here we go. Don't hoard treasure down here, where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven, where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is like a cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. So I love to read. I am a learner by heart and and this book that I'm reading right now it's called Chasing Cool and it's a really fascinating book. It's written by some big wig advertising gurus who are trying to unlock the secret to marketing. And so they they start off with this simple question and it's this. What makes something cool? And for us, I think we can have a similar starting point. In the book, they transfer over to their simple thesis, and it's this. We all have this insatiable desire to chase after the cool we don't have, but desperately want. And this is a picture, an example of this. Justin Bieber. Everyone knows who Justin Bieber is these days. Skinny jeans. Skinny jeans are everywhere. They're like taking over the world, and Justin Bieber's taking over the world, but... Skinny jeans. This is a trend that our culture right now is chasing after. I'm obviously not wearing skinny jeans. They might as well be like parachute pant khakis. But, <laughs> but these, this is one trend right now that we are seeking after. Here, here's the next one. Parachute pants in the 90s. I don't think it was ever really hammer time. But in the 90s, MC Hammer was all over parachute pants. And they were never trendy. But at one point, I know that there are fathers in this room who wore those jogging suits. Next slide. Leg warmers in the 80s. Like, I don't really understand them at all. I don't really understand why you would ever have to warm up your calf muscles, probably because I never run or anything. But apparently in the 80s, like, this was their deal. We wear leg warmers with heels. We wear leg warmers with jeans. We wear leg warmers wherever we go. And then in the 70s, come on, Jackson 5, plaid bell-bottoms. Come on. You know you wore them. There's some people in this room who are all over them. And then, of course, John Travolta. Nothing feverish about that outfit right there, but let's be honest. You chased after bell-bottoms. We all have this insatiable desire to chase after the cool we don't have but desperately want. But it's always fleeting. Every decade, another trend, right? It's always fleeting. And I think it's always been this way. See, history is filled with people groups whom in many ways get lost in searching for the cool that they never really get. And the Christian scriptures also reveal a similar story about humanity. Today, as we continue our Homewrecker series, looking specifically at how money affects our identity and our relationships, I believe that Matthew chapter 6 clearly lays out, number one, what it means to live in relationship to money, number two, the power it holds in our lives, and number three, the responsibility we have in understanding these things. So real shortly, looking at the book of Matthew, this is really important just as we move forward. A little bit of context, you know, what's going on here in Matthew chapter 6? Well, there are four portraits of Jesus in the Bible, and each one of them is unique but similar. And so we have to take a step back and say, what is unique about Matthew's picture of Jesus? And see, Matthew sets himself apart in writing his character Because Jesus here is so concerned about others. He is constantly looking outward and saying, who can I go to? What people groups can I walk into? And change their lives. So the primary concern for Matthew is this, that Jesus wants to reorient his compass in setting his reference point outwards to others. The poor, the destitute, The lame, the widow, the wealthy, and the needy. The irreligious and the crazy religious. This is who Jesus is over and over again trying to come into contact with. And I think in suburbia, that's really hard to understand. But this is the person that Jesus wants us to go to. See, for Jesus, serving himself would be like chasing after cool. His life is not found in serving himself, chasing after the fleeting trends of this world. See, life is found in turning ourselves outwards to serve others and to build relationships. And So we're going to just shortly go through Matthew chapter 6 and explore how Jesus expects us today and then to live in respect to others in reference to our money. So, here we go. The first text we're going to study, the first four verses, the first couple verses. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse. Stolen by burglars, stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? It's obvious. The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. And I think right away these first verses really pierce through our American culture. Because money, for us, is a means to an end. It's, it's our way of getting from point A to point B. It is a tool for stability, safety, and conformity, and for lots of us, personal pleasure. And for some, it is a measure of our success Or a gauge of quantifying how much we have failed in relationship to the world around us. If we don't have enough, or if we have too little. What about you today? As I was writing this, I was thinking, what about me today as I'm writing this message? Are there any of you who fit into these categories? Are these things which contribute to define your identity? Does getting a paycheck fulfill your insatiable desire to have stability, safety, and conformity and personal pleasure? For me, the answer is yes. But deep inside myself, something is missing in that. See, Jesus in these verses seems to be hinting to us that even if we stockpile treasure greater than the worth of Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook a treasure that could buy the world of stability and conformity and safety, even this treasure will leave someone empty in the end. My wife and I are $150,000 in debt, and this is a reason why um, Rob wanted me to come speak today, out of my story. And we have loans from undergraduate and graduate degrees, and we don't even have a house yet. We're paying 750 bucks a month to live in a winky-dink apartment in St. Paul, and we're making it. You know, We're making it. We're doing this. And in that kiss, we decided to do it together. And five years ago, the job market was a lot better for associate pastors, and there's a lot of fear and anxiety that is sitting in our marriage right now. See, so we could easily, I think, let that fear and anxiety control our life control who we are together. We could chase after stability. We could push away from the life-giving stuff that Jesus is talking about. But I think that what Jesus truly wants Britt and I to understand is this. Money, when we hold it tightly to our heart, when it becomes so rooted to our identity, it will actually provide a false sense of security in the end. It will actually turn us inward, not outward. The power of money will actually drive us away from building authentic relationships with others. And in these verses, I think Jesus is asking us a simple question Will you trust orienting yourself to a different option? And I think, as I was thinking about what this meant, there are two basic options. The first is this. You can store up your treasures on earth. That is what I call a treasure garter. Treasure garters turn themselves inward. Or two. You can stockpile treasure in heaven, and that is a treasure giver. Treasure givers turn themselves outwards. Consider those two options as we go forward. In the next part of the scripture, Jesus uses an interesting metaphor to help people consider a different option. He says this, Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is like a cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. In the 1700s there was a Romanian dictator named Tudor Vladimirescu. Prized was his wine collection and so he built a variety of secret wine cellars around Romania to hide his best crops. The only one found to date is in this picture. Buried beneath stories and stories of earth above underground subway workers accidentally stumbled across this lost cellar. You see, creating wine is a fascinating ancient process. Once you place all the ingredients together in barrels, you set them in rooms like this that keep constant cool temperatures. Concealed alone in dark, in darkness, it brews life into itself. And from only a few ingredients, the best winemaker can produce crazy, life-giving, vibrant flavors. But wine is meant to bring life to others in its truest identity. It is meant to bring people together in community, to provide joy and celebration for those to drink, to satisfy the tastes of the tongue, not to be locked away for all eternity. See, the best winemaker knows this: that wine has a life limit in the barrel; that at some point, life in the wine itself actually turns toxic to itself and to the people who would choose to drink it. And this wine in Romania, when it was found over three hundred years later, was worthless. Had it not been worthless, it would have been a pric- it would it would have been priceless today. See, the potential held in its identity after all that effort to guard it and keep it from everyone else, it was worthless. If people were going to paint a picture of your life as it related to money, would it look like a seller? If I'm really honest, There are moments in my life when I'm painting that picture up there. You could also say it this way. If you think about your life right now and your view of money, would you be standing in the cellar because you just wanted it all for yourself? See, money, much like wine, if we store it away in cellars, will lead us to a separated, unfulfilled, unsatisfying, toxic life to ourself and to others. And it happens sometimes so secretly that we don't even realize it's happening. See, in these verses, Jim, Jesus is simply asking us to consider this. You were made to bring life to others with your money, to be a satisfying, non-toxic taste on their mouth. You were made to bring life to others. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You cannot worship God and money both. You see, Jesus really finally... In his third point here, he gets right down to the heart of the issue. See, people used to literally worship a god of money called Mammon. And the Greeks and Romans had a natural knack for creating all sorts of gods and goddesses that they thought would bring health and wellness and life and prosperity. And I think in our 21st century, July 2012, we do this in a similar way. And if we are really honest with ourselves, mammon seems to become an identity marker that becomes who we are at certain times in our life. The pursuit of money and prosperity and wealth for personal gain can very quickly turn into worshiping a God, just like what Jesus is talking about here. Because in the process, we become concerned with ourselves, and we turn inwards. And we forget about the needs of others. We forget about the compass that Jesus is talking about. And in seminary, we took hours and hours of Greek. In fact, I had five years of Greek coming out of seminary. I And I don't really even understand it at the end of the day. It's like, holy cow, this is so complex. But in the Greek, this literally says, you cannot serve two gods. It's as basic as it gets. And we do this all the time. And in the words of Rob Jacobson himself, Jesus wants all of us. He wants all of us, right? He wants all of what we have to offer to this world, all of us. And if we are true to this identity, then our life, our new identity in Christ becomes a treasure giver, not a treasure garter. A close friend of Brittany and I really wants to go to a Bible school in New Zealand, and she can't go until she saves up all this money to pay for her expenses. And she set this marker of X number of thousands of dollars, and she's struggling to raise it. And Brittany comes to me and she says, "I, I would really love to help her out." And of course, in all of Brittany's grand wisdom, what a great gift to offer! I would really love to help this person out, and. What do I do? I immediately revert back into preserving my way of life, like the the money that I don't have. Right, I'm like so concerned that it's going to go to something, but really it's just going to our bills. And I said, we can't do that. I need new work clothes. I need new tennis shoes. I, I, we've got to pay our 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 bills. Of course, that was third on my list. You know, and <laughs> I rambled off a whole list of things that like I needed before we gave our money to someone else who really needed it. And 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 I. This happened within the last two weeks of me preparing this message, and you see, as humans, like, we're, we fall into this over and over and over again, and the responsibility of a treasure giver goes completely against the culture that we're surrounded with, right? And if church is only 10% of our lives, and we go out into the world and we live this 90% in the American culture, this is a really difficult topic to understand. See, moving from inward beings into outward doers is not something that comes naturally to us. And I really learned that within the last week. Because I was really close to this text in the last two weeks. And you'd think that it would have come a little bit easier for me. But it didn't. See, I think we are so afraid to hold on to our money because we simply don't trust that we have a God who provides. Amen? Come on, people. A God who provides. That is the story over and over and over again. See, Jesus, he closes this text. He says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, because each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus starts this beautiful chapter in Matthew, verse 1. He's like, If you're going to give to people, give with your whole heart. And he says, Don't worry about it, because I got your back. And somewhere in between there, I missed the whole message. It's like, it's so obvious, right? But it's so hard. One of my professors at school had this great phrase. He said this. If you write anything down, write this down. There is no better indicator of the condition of your heart than where you put your money. Wow. And this is right where I am at. (laughs) That's what I learned this week. This is right where Brittany and I are finding, so, finding ourselves in our life together. Are we going to be treasure garters in our marriage or treasure givers? Where's our treasure going to be in our marriage? Where's your treasure going to be as a single person, as a, as a father, as a mother? We all have this insatiable desire to chase after the cool we don't want but desperately, that we don't have but desperately want. The only cool Brittany and I are going to be chasing after is a debt free cool. I'll tell you what, we are going after it like nobody's business. So we have found ourselves in a position where we're going to be paying this stuff up until we co sign the loans for our kids to go to college, right? That's our reality. But you see, if we only turn in on ourselves, you know, getting rid of your debt is an awesome thing, but if we are only concerned about our debt, about getting rid of this cloud that hangs over our face, we are going to turn ourselves inwards and we are not going to hold our money with our open hand. And I think there's a responsibility, absolutely, to make sure you manage your finances. But Jesus also says there's another responsibility to hold your money out for others. So practically, what does this mean as you go into Monday. Have you ever given to a nonprofit? Just do it. Budget your money so you can do it. Jesus is saying, don't worry, I got your back. I'll provide for you. For Brittany and I, it meant going to Financial Peace University at Faith Covenant. And I'll tell you what, great connections over there. They do it three times a year. It changed our life. We learned how to budget our money so we could hopefully be treasure givers. And we've got two incomes, right? Have you ever asked anybody to help you control your spending? Man, that is, that is a trap here, right? Get an accountability partner. Figure out how much you spend a month. You'll, you'll soon learn, man, that Gatorade at the gas station, that's an extra two bucks. Or that, that five-hour energy that I put in that Gatorade the other day, that's another four bucks, <laughs> right? See, we defeat... As Christians, we defeat the chase after cool when our chase shifts from trusting the world's security and trusting in the life of Jesus Christ. Amen? May you trust in the new orientation that Jesus compels us to take in Matthew 6. May you trust that God can resurrect your money-focused life from the cellar. And may you trust in God's desire to make you a treasure giver, not a treasure garter. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we move forward with our worship service, would you just um, bless this offering? Not as a way to make church a business or an equity producer. any one of those things, but would you use the money given today to be an active restoration for this community, a place where the poor, the destitute, the lame, the leper, the divorced, the widow, the single mother, the hurt, the sick, would you make this a place where real non-metaphorical restoration can happen? We praise you as the God of provision, the God of hope, and the God of rescue. In your holy and precious name.